May we recognize that we have the the ability and the privilege to take a stand with Jesus Christ. He has died for us. He has risen. He is giving us life. May we stand with him. Amen. Well, we're super excited to be rallying together here, man, to worship Jesus Christ. It is all about our King. And all of God's people said, Amen. So as we go after worshiping Jesus, may we celebrate him with all we've got. Hey, we're in a series here called The Thunderous Sevens and the Copycat. The Thunderous Sevens and the Copycat. We're walking through Revelation 4 through 19, the middle section of the book of Revelation that talks a lot about the end, the last seven years that's to come out in the future still, the final seven years, and then Christ comes, right? And so as we've been walking through this, we've been kind of picking up on the Thunderous Sevens, the fingerprint of God at work all over the place, right? So the seven years, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls, like God's working in sevens everywhere in that final seven years. May he truly get all the glory. And at the same time, Satan's running around kind of doing the me too copycat thing. And uh, so we're quite a ways into this, already into week 10 here. And as we dive in going after it, our job has been to kind of, Lord, show us what you'd have us to know. But Lord, may it be all about worship, right? Our battle cry is for worship not for worry. Everybody say it with me. For worship, not for worry. Right? Too often you can start diving into Revelation and you get into some of the details and the intricacies of it all. And all of a sudden it starts to kind of take you down rabbit trails. Not that. Like that's not our goal. Our goal as we go into this is, Lord God, may you get all the glory. May we worship you as the God who is in charge. Everybody say he's in charge. And he has a plan. God has a plan. So we worship you, Lord. We lift you up. Uh, Show us what you'd have us to know. Now, the reality is the seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bulls, that's like the scroll that gets unfolded. And that becomes sort of the roadmap of that final seven years. But it's more than just God's wrath being unleashed. All over Revelation, you see witnesses being called for and people being saved and God getting the glory in that. Yes, God's wrath on display, but yes, God's mercy on display. And you don't hear that talked about too much when you go through the book of Revelation. And so uh, we're actually going to take a moment today where we're just camping on the witnesses, on those saved, on those who who can declare, my God has changed my life. I trust in him. He's my king, all right? So we're going to be looking today at testimony, salvation, those who are sealed and fired up about him, those who are witnesses on the earth in the final seven years, and some of what we can learn from it in our call to be witnesses here today. So do me a favor, turn with me, if you will, to Revelation chapter 7, Revelation 7, starting in verse 1, and as we get going here, just remember the time frame. So remember, it goes seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls, right? So at this point in Revelation 7, we'll be kind of into that sixth seal has just finished, holding for the seventh seal, we're right there. So it's about, we'll call it halfway through the the seven years, the seals are about the first half. So we're at the end of the sixth seal, holding on the seventh seal. That's where we pick up now, Revelation chapter 7, all right? So point number one, worship. Worship the God who will seal 144,000 people from Israel to represent him. 
Worship the God who will seal 144,000 people from Israel to represent him. Man, God's going to be calling forth 144,000 Jewish people trusting in Jesus as Messiah, and that's just the start of all that will be saved in the tribulation, right? And we're going to see a piece of that today. So here we go. Let's start in verse 1. It says, after this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on the earth or sea or against any tree. And uh, then I saw another angel uh, ascending from the rising sun with the seal of the living God. Okay, so we see four angels and they've actually been given this responsibility. There's going to be destruction. There's kind of this permission they're allowed and they're longing to go after it, but they're being held back at the moment. And there's a a holding back there of the four that are going to bring the destruction. And then the one that is bringing the sealing, the one that is celebrating the salvation that comes in God Almighty. Just so you know, that word seal there, that's the same word that's used in Ephesians chapter 1. When it talks about all of us as saved people, it says we are sealed by the Holy Spirit and guaranteed an inheritance. Same verb there, all right? So he's talking here about people being saved. Everybody say saved, right? This is going to be people coming across and accepting Christ saved, Holy Spirit doing an amazing work and guaranteeing and inheritance. It says, and he, the angel, called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the earth and the sea, who had been given power. Everybody say God in charge. Right? Given power. God's the one giving that out, and these angels have the right to harm the earth and the sea. Just so you know, that word in the original language is a brutal word, all right? Harm. It means literally the definition of it is to do wrong, to destroy, to tear down, to harm. But harm is almost the softest form of what you could think of with it. To do wrong is kind of packed into it. So in fact, many think that these four angels here are like evil angels. These are bad angels who are longing to bring destruction. God's like, okay, fine, I'll give you that little spot in time. God in charge. And they're longing to go after it. It's possible those are evil angels getting ready to go after it, right? And their, their goal is destroying, tearing down, harming. Notice the earth earth and the sea. What comes when you start up the trumpets is the good angels blowing these trumpets and you end up having the destruction of the earth and the sea and the fresh water and right, it's being held off for that. And potentially these are bad angels that'll have a part in that on the earth as the good angel blows the trumpet, right? Could be that, or it could be that this is considered maybe some form of like righteous element, righteous judgment, and these are good angels. Whichever way it goes, notice the adjective there isn't there. It just says angel. And so whichever way you go with it, I will say that word harm is is a dark word. It's a heavy word. And so I probably lean a little more towards the evil element on that, but we'll just leave it at that. All right. And uh, so God in charge, God has these ones over it. They're being held back. And it says, uh, saying, do not harm the earth or the sea, the trees, until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Until we have sealed the servants of our God, everybody say saved, 
on their foreheads. Now notice that word forehead here, right? And so again, this is the mark of Yahweh going on. We've talked about this several times through the series, but when you think about the tribulation, when you think about the final seven years, you often hear a mark talked about, and it's the mark of the, you can say it, it's okay, the mark of the beast, right? That's the one you tend to think about, but that's actually Revelation 13. Here we're in Revelation 17. God's the first one to mark. God steps out and he marks his people. Yahweh marks their foreheads. He seals them. They are saved. God's mark is the first mark. Six chapters later, Satan's like, well, I could do something like that too. Now, his doesn't have any eternal effect in that regard. His is just a temporary and a functional effect, but his is like a me too wannabe. It's a lame copycat. Everybody say lame. The mark of the beast is nothing but a copycat of what God's already doing. And that's Revelation 7, where we're at today. God doing this massive mark that is this huge hope and salvation. Notice it says on their foreheads. And uh, this could be a physical marking on the forehead. Um, but I will tell you, if you go into the Old Testament and you look up the word forehead and you look at some of the usages of it, it'll talk about things where it's, it's alluding to how people think. Do they agree with and align with? It'll say, for example, they had the forehead of a prostitute. They were unashamed of sin. Or it'll say they had the forehead of Moab. They were defiant, rebellious, destructive, right? And so when you see the word forehead, it's, also, it's often speaking of who they align with, what they're going after. Are they partnered with? right? And so here as you're seeing marked on the forehead, sealed there, they are partnering with God Almighty. They agree with God Almighty. They're going after it with God Almighty. They are with Him and they're in, okay? That's a huge part of the meaning of it here. And so you're seeing them sealed. It's changing their lives. It's changing their worship. It's changing their behavior. It says, and I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 144,000. How many? Yeah, 144,000. You've got to picture this like John saw it. Remember at the time of John when he's writing this at the end of the first century there, there were probably uh, maybe 50, maybe 60, 70,000 people at most who were saved. At most, 50 to 75,000 trusting Christ in the church, okay? And so the 11 apostles had already lost their lives. The 11 killed through martyrdom. John alone is alive. He's been put on the island of Patmos. So John is in prison of sorts. The others are gone. The church has gotten to a certain point, not bad in numbers, but beginning to wobble. Remember even the statement about like Ephesus, you've lost your first love. And like the church beginning to wobble, that's where John's at. And now God reveals to him, he's like, hang on. I know there's 50,000 saved right now. 144,000 coming in one moment. Man, I've got my hand all over this. And then they're going to be a witness for the rest of the seven years. They're going to be calling people to follow after me. This is going to be a testimony. These are going to be on fire. Man, this is a huge launch for some saved in the tribulation time period. 144,000. Now, some will hear this and they say, well, you know, I think 144,000 just means, you know, like a lot. And, and I would say, I agree, it's a lot. 
It's 144,000 a lot, right? Like, let's just go a plain sense read. What it says is what it is. So 144,000, it even goes beyond that. It says, of the sons of Israel. And then it lists them from the tribe of, from the tribe of, from the tribe of. 12,000 from each tribe times 12 tribes, 144,000. Super specific that coming from each tribe is 12,000. 144,000 represented overall. Everybody just say God has a plan. And God has a plan and he's going to be rolling it out in those seven years and they're going to have a chance to be a witness in that moment and be utilized by God to point back to him. This is a huge deal. Know this, God always has a witness. In this earth, he's always leaving people as a witness to who he is, pointing to him and celebrating him. In this day and age, right here and now, man, if you've trusted Christ, you are a witness called to stand for Jesus Christ, called to make much of him. You are called to be a light in a dark world. May God get all the glory. It's a sweet privilege and a powerful privilege. Ready? And all of God's people said, man, we are called to be witnesses right here, right where we're at, worshiping with all we've got and sharing along the way. And God definitely always has witnesses in the world. And just so you know, even in the final seven years, there's more than just this 144,000. There will be others that get saved along the way. But we see like we're in John or in Revelation 7 here, right? You go a little bit forward to Revelation 10. And John is told there by the angel, record down. What you record will be used as a witness. Like the book of Revelation itself is going to be a testimony in all that John wrote. But if you go to the next chapter, Revelation 11, it talks about the two witnesses that are going to be thundering it for the last half of the seven years. They're going to be bringing a powerful statement. Remember, that's the same time frame that the trumpets and the bowls are going off, these rough judgments. And they're like, do you see the God who's in charge? They're pointing people to him. They're calling to a salvation in Jesus Christ. In fact, it says more about the two witnesses. Like, you know, if you stand against them and try to take their life, just so you know, you'll lose yours. Like God is going to protect them fully and thoroughly. Man, God is going to be working with witnesses. He does in this day and age, and he will through the whole final seven years. May we celebrate that God has a plan. And all of God's people said, huge deal, man. So simple question, are you saved? Do you believe that Jesus is risen from the dead? He's alive. Really answer for yourself. Do you believe Jesus is alive? And are you confessing him as Lord? You're in charge. Are you in? And that's saved. Did you know that? Those two things. That's it. Believing Jesus is risen, he's alive. Confess him as Lord. Lord, take over in my life. That's saved. Man, if you are saved, you are called to be a witness in this world, to be taking a stand for Jesus Christ, to live for him. You, as his witness today, may God get all the glory. All right? That's the first step, first point. Second point. Celebrate that forever we will join with the millions upon millions in worshiping him. Celebrate that forever we will join with millions upon millions in worshiping him. 
John writes, starting in verse 9, After this I looked and behold. And when we see the word behold, we say, check it out. Remember, the word means look at this. See this. John was like, whoa, check this out. John says, behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all the tribes and peoples and languages, like from all the Gentile groups. That's what he's saying here. From all the Gentile groups, millions upon millions, but couldn't number them, maybe even billions, the massive, massive spread. So he hears first about the 144,000 Jews that are going to be saved, trusting in Jesus, becoming a witness. But then he sees in the heavens, massive millions upon millions who have trusted Christ that are home in glory and they're worshiping and praising him. Notice it says, a great multitude from every nation standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They're in the heavens. They're standing before God the Father and God the Son, and they're in a power worship. This is almost like the throne room scene again, where you're seeing millions upon millions worshiping God in all of his glory. And it says, and they were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Clothed in white robes. They were clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. These ones in the heavens, their sin is gone. Pain done, death over, and they are clothed with Christ's perfection and righteousness. Their sin is no longer in sight. Christ in all of his glory, that's what they're clothed with. Clothed with. Man, grasp this. Our daily sinful lives here on earth, right? Going to be behind us someday. And when we're saved and at home in heaven with him, when we are trusting and leaning in him, hear me, no more waking up and having wrong thoughts. No more saying something in the home and wishing you hadn't said it because it really hurt someone and tore someone down. Right? Don't leave me up here and all of God's people said. <laughs> right? No more of the sin that wells up and the junk that takes over, it will be done. Amen, man. And we get to praise our God and worship our king, sin covered. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Have you given him your everything? May God get all the glory. They were celebrating with all they had, and I love this. It says uh, they had palm branches in their hands, like crying out, victory to the king, the one who has won. I am at home in glory because my God wins. Jesus Christ rules. It says, and crying with a loud voice, they said, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. We are saved and God the Father has the plan and God the Son has poured it out and we worship this God. Massive celebration, massive praise. You know, some will say that these are maybe the ones that are martyred during the tribulation, right? You see it in like the fifth seal, and maybe that's who these are. And some will say, actually, it says they come out of the tribulation. Could it be that this is actually the moment of the rapture right here that's going on that's being captured in Revelation? Could be. As you take a look at this passage, there's a, all of a sudden a ton of people worshiping before the throne and celebrating all that's going on. It says... And all the angels 
uh, were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces and worshiped. I love that. The angels are in awe. It says in Peter that the angels look into this salvation thing and they're dumbfounded, right? They, they look and they watch us as human beings, like not getting it at all. Like we're missing it, completely wrapped up in ourselves and in sin, and we're not getting who Christ is, and we're just totally going the wrong direction. And they're like, what is up? But God does a changing work, a healing work. He touches our souls. He regenerates. He wakes us up to who he is. And all of a sudden, one degree at a time, we start to experience change in our lives. And all of God's people said, and that's saved as God starts doing a little bit at a time in our lives and the angels are stunned by that, now they're seeing this the humanity drawn home and before God the Father and God the Son in sheer perfection. And they're celebrating with all they've got and they're like, look at what God is doing. And they fall down and they do a massive moment of worship. Billions of angels, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, and it says saying, amen blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. For how long? Man, forever and ever. Say it loud, say it big. Forever and ever. Louder and bigger. Forever and ever. Our God has that in hand. And may we be witnesses on this earth. May we be celebrating our King with all we've got. May God truly get all the praise. Our call is to believe in Jesus Christ, to confess him as our Lord, and to share and testify and be a witness in this dark world. That's our call. It says here that the angels even celebrate in the midst. So we get to see the 144,000 sealed on the earth, Jews being sealed and saved. We get to see the mass droves of, of the Gentiles in the heavens that are now worshiping before God in that final seven years there. So many that have, can you imagine John who knows of 50,000 total and all of a sudden he sees millions upon millions, billions of people worshiping Christ. And he's like, that's what I'm talking about. This is my God. May he get all the glory. And all too often in this world, we get so easily distracted with the junk going on around us. Lord God, may I fix my eyes on you and may I be your witness in this world. And all of God's people said. Point number three, and sing a new song of salvation as you praise your God. Sing a new song of salvation as you praise your God. And uh, here we're going to jump over to chapter 14. And we don't usually do that where we jump around, right? But you're going to see why we jump there in just a second as you go to chapter 14, verse 1. And uh, we've been talking about the 144,000 here. And so now we jump in. It says, then I looked and behold. And when we see the word behold, we say, dude, check it out, right? John's like, whoa. You should see what I saw then. He says, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb. 
Now, just so you know, Mount Zion is actually the name of a mount in Jerusalem there, in that area. And so this could be the physical mount in Jerusalem, could actually be that. And the Lamb, Jesus Christ, present among and impacting there, and absolutely could mean that. Some will say, well, I think maybe this represents heaven. You're just going to see why in just a second. But whichever way it is, this is thunderous worship going on, all right? It says, and with him, 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Everybody say saved. saved. Right? Absolutely saved. Absolutely fired up going after it. And uh, it says, and I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and the sound of loud thunder. The voices I heard was, the voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing harps. He's like, I heard this voice from the heavens, and it thundered. It was loud as all get out. It boomed forth. But more than that, it was almost like harpists playing harps. He's like, I'm telling you, this voice was almost like an instrumental backup for what was going to go on next. There was this massive worship moment and this thunderous voice, almost like an instrumental backing taking place. And then it says... And they, the 144,000, were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. And no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. He's like, and these 144,000, those sealed in the future, they're going to be singing a new song. Everybody say a new song. They're going to be singing a song about what it was to go through that tribulation time, what it was to experience the presence of God in their life, what it meant to be sealed by him, what it means to see him as Messiah, Yahweh, to be celebrating this God, this massive celebration that's going on in the song they're singing is unique to their experience at the time. But hear me, scripture says really clearly, when we're saved, we get taught a new song. We're singing a new song of salvation as we celebrate what God is doing in our lives, even right here and now today. And did you know this? In Zephaniah it says, and God sings over you. Your God singing over you all that's going on and you being able to sing back a new song of salvation because God has done a miracle work in you. Man, that's saved. God doing something in our lives, and it rocks our world in the here and now and forever. Are you ready to make an impact for the king? May God get all the glory. And you see the 144,000 singing a new song. Everybody say, God has a plan. God does have a plan. And these 144,000, like, they're not alone, man. They're bringing it. They're booming it. It says they're singing and it's wrecking. It is like bringing this massive celebration before the throne, before the four living creatures, before the elders. So either they're on earth and it's such a thunderous worship, it's rocking the heavens, or maybe they're in the heavens itself and they're rocking it there. Either way, you're seeing a massive celebration worship. They are representatives, and they have the privilege and the hope. Man, I'm just telling you, in the book of Revelation, it's more than just wrath. Mercy, grace, God doing an amazing work of salvation, and him getting celebrated as Savior and King. Man, are you saved? Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? Have you recognized that he is risen? and confessed him as Lord, are you in? 
And if you aren't in on that, today's the day. Knock it in place. Put that stake in the ground. Now, Lord, I'm giving you my life. I'm in with you. May we be witnesses who can celebrate the king. Maybe it's like the 144,000 where we literally can start to say, I know the king of the universe who's going to rock this world and take us home to glory. I'd love to introduce you to my God. And please hear me. What a powerful time of celebration as we can be a witness, as these are witnesses, and as they're singing in the heavens that's going to go on for all eternity. Everybody just say, God has a plan. Man, God has a plan. All right? Point number four. Let's take a stand for Jesus in baptism. Let's take a stand for Jesus. And for some, that may be in baptism this next week, right? What does it mean to be sealed? It means that God is saving us. It means that when we die with Christ, he is literally covering our uh, sins, paying for them, and we get to rise again in new life and walk with him. Sealed. And you're going to see that description. We're going to jump to Romans 6. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. We'll just cover a moment of it. But Romans 6 talks about the privilege we have in Christ. What does it mean to be sealed? How should I be walking with my Savior? And if there really is this salvation... He starts out in verse 1 of Romans 6. He says, what shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Like, hey man, if we sin and grace actually gets shown off because we get forgiven, maybe we should just keep sinning. And then we could keep getting forgiven and that'll show grace off. Everybody say that's a terrible plan. Like, no man, not that. And in fact, what he actually says after it, he says, by no means in the ESV, I love the King James. He says, God forbid right? The absolutely no way. Man, our job is not to live in sin to try to show off God's grace. Our job is to separate from and begin to worship him with all we have. In fact, it goes on to say, we are buried in death with Jesus Christ. If we are saved, sealed, it's like his death counts for us. We are buried in death with him. Our sin paid for. Everybody say paid our sin paid for. We are, it's no longer about me, man. If you're on the, I'm just going to try to be good enough plan. Time to set that plan aside. It doesn't work. There will never be a good enough. We are always going to come up short. May we lean on Jesus Christ, our sin paid by the one who is perfect, Jesus himself. But more than that, it says we are buried with him in this death, our sin paid for. And then it says, so that. And that is a massive purpose statement. Really watch for the word so that all over scripture, all right? It's huge. In, in uh, Romans 6 here, it says, buried with him in death, so that. Everybody say purpose. It's like, just so you know, here's what you're going to get out of that. It says, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We might walk in newness of life. The goal is not you just having sins covered. The goal is you on this earth, walking it out, celebrating one degree of glory at a time that God gets all the glory. You worship the king who has paid for your sin, and he's changing you one little bit at a time, walking in newness of life. That's our privilege. That's saved. 
Man, saved is not me. Uh, as soon as I trust Christ saved, I'm perfect now. Everybody say, not that. I know. I wish it was that. Everybody say, that'd be nice. <laughs> Wouldn't it? You're like, hey, man, I trusted Christ. I never, ever again struggle with anything. Right? And you're like, well, you struggle with lying right now. Right? <laughs> like, Lord, please rock my world. Shape me one degree at a time. Right? And this walk in newness of life is the privilege that we get to have. Here's what I'm going to ask. May we recognize that we have the, the ability and the privilege to take a stand with Jesus Christ. He has died for us. He is risen. He is giving us life. May we stand with him. And so just do this with me. Just cry out loud as loud as you got. You are king. Ready? You are king. Louder and bigger. All right, hold it at that level. Keep it at that level. I'm going to keep some quotes going. At the end of each one of them, you say, you are king. Ready? Here we go. You died for my sins. You are king. You rose from the dead. You are king. You give me eternal life. You are king. You are coming again to reign. You are king. I am your witness. You are king. May we take a stand with Jesus Christ in this broken world. Do you know him as your savior? Have you trusted Christ and you're saved? Have you since been baptized? And if you have not been baptized after trusting in Christ, next week is for you. Let's take a stand together. May God get all the glory. And if you have trusted Christ and you have not since been baptized, Let's do it next week, okay? So be an awesome time to join together and uh, go after it together. Let's join in a chorus of making much of our king along the way, right? God is building an army and you're part of it. Are you ready to take a stand? 